Hi, I'm Logan Rice. Thank you for joining us on this episode of To the Choir Master. If you've been listening to our past few episodes, you'll know that we've been looking at songs centered around the theme of Christ's worthiness and God's authority, specifically centered around the book of Revelation. And as we were looking at other songs that tie into this theme, we thought back to our September 1 episode where we looked at the song Revelation Song by Jenny Lee Riddle. We want to revisit that this week as we continue on in our theme, and we look at the song that proclaims, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, a phrase that we see in Revelation time and time again. I do want to preface that this was back in the days of Zoom and COVID, so the audio quality is a little different than maybe what you're used to, but nonetheless, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Andrew Hargett. And I'm Logan Rice. And you've joined us on To the Choir Master, a podcast examining our heart posture in musical worship. This week, we are looking at the song Revelation Song by Jenny Lee Riddle. Uh, this was made very popular by a number of big Christian artists, including Phillips Craig and Dean, Carrie Job, Gateway Worship, just to name a few. Uh, it's it's really been around. Yeah, Angie, you, you we were talking about this, and we were thinking about doing a song that was kind of an oldie but goodie. We've been really looking at songs that have been released pretty recently. Um, and what's surprising about this song, at least it was to me, was that this song was actually written in 1999 by Jenny Lee Riddle. Mm-hmm. And I know that at the church that I've been at and you have been at as well, the song has really been in the rotation um, for a long time. And one that has kind of made it through the ebb and flow of worship songs and styles of worship music. And it really kind of makes you wonder, why are we still doing the song and, and why do we love it so much? Right. Yeah. I feel like we've focused on songs that are either one or two months old or like one or 200 years old. (laughs) And uh, this is a good like one or two decades kind of old song. This is really like our bread and butter, I guess, you know, growing up and playing in worship bands for church and youth group. This was always a a classic song that I never knew what the key was, but uh, we could always go to it. Um, And I think people really love it because the the lyrics are so poetic and yet they're also pulled mostly directly out of scripture and so and it's just it's just a straight worship kind of song of of Jesus for for who he is right yeah the the title of the song really is is pretty basic in terms of what it is it's called revelation song and that's because the majority if not all of the lyrics are derived from the book of Revelation. So it is a song from the book of Revelation, specifically um, chapters four and chapter five of, of Revelation, where you look at the elders and the creatures and the angels around the throne proclaiming holy, holy, holy. And so, uh, yeah, this is a song that lyrically is very powerful. It's a glimpse into eternity. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to kind of dissecting this song and, and looking at the heart posture behind it and just to kind of see why we why we love it and why it's withstood the test of time so far yeah this is another one of those songs that i have sung and not once questioned lyrics like clothed in rainbows and but also not once known what that meant right and so i think it'll be really great to dive in and just see hey this song that we've been singing about for 20 years what are we actually saying
All right, Logan. So I kind of felt like, again, since this is a fairly familiar song that most people have done, what might be the most helpful would be to look through the lyrics and just kind of ask some of the obvious questions. Some of these things might be things that if you've grown up at the church, you're very familiar with this imagery, uh, but then also maybe not. And then some of these things, I think there's a lot of things that even just researching for the song that I learned, including in this first verse that we're going to see. So I want to start off with this idea. There's a mention of a lamb kind of throughout the song. And I, you know, I think we know that like this lamb is talking about Christ, but how is it that Christ is actually like a lamb that was slain? Yeah. Yeah. This is one that we hear often. You look at pictures and, and artistic portrayals of Christianity. You often see um, a lamb being portrayed and, and Christ being tied into that. And so really the, the idea of Christ as a lamb really points back to the Old Testament law. So when you look at the laws and what is required for the atonement of sin, for the atonement of your wrongdoing, there's a lot of different animals that you can bring to the table. You have the fattened calf, you have the pigeon. If you don't have any animals, you have the grain offering. And, and at the end of the day, the atonement for that sin offering was a blemishless lamb. Um, and so you bring the lamb and you sacrifice it and that blood atones for your sins. And so, you know, the beauty of the gospel and the Christian story is that Christ was sent to be the ultimate sacrifice. So when he died on the cross, he took death with him. And when he arose, death was conquered and, and our sins were ultimately atoned through the blood of Christ. And so when you look at the atonement sin sacrifice of the old testament as the lamb christ really is the ultimate lamb and the, and the lamb who was slain to cover all of humanity and the reason why christ was a man and not a lamb as simple and, and kind of weird as that sounds is because there had to be a man to atone for the sin of adam and so the the christ as a lamb as silly as it may sound to us there's a reason why Christ wasn't an actual lamb, why he was a man who had to come and walk as man did and and had to um, die as man would die because of the atonement of sin for all of Adam's race rather than Mm -hmm. just an individual sacrifice of bringing the lamb to the altar. Yeah, I think it's still good to bring that all up, though, because even though we are often, you know, used to the idea of Christ as a lamb, that term, I think, sometimes can take different meanings in our head if we're not careful to reco- recount what you just recounted, which is like very much to that gospel story. Because yeah. I, I often also hear of Christ as a lamb. You hear, oh, he's the lion and he's a lamb. And then I start to think, oh, well, he's very powerful, but he's also really peaceful and tame right. and stuff like that. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what this is referring to here, especially in this song. This is very, as we're going to see in a second, in this and out of revelation where this is being pulled from we're saying christ is worthy because he's the lamb that was slain right yeah this isn't this isn't a yeah i completely agree with you it's well christ is very meek and gentle and i mean it sounds silly but you think of mary had a little lamb and if you're Mm -hmm. not careful that's how you kind of picture jesus as just this meek and mild and and feeble um creature but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's actually Christ as a lamb um, that brings so much power because the lamb was sacrificed 
for mm-hmm. the atonement. And to think about that juxtaposition of Christ as the Lion of Judah, as well as the Lamb who was slain, and how you have something so mighty take such a fall, that that really puts into power Christ as the Lamb that was slain for our sins. And so really kind of coming out of that, so you have worthy is the lamb who is slain, holy, holy is he. The next line in the first verse is sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Andrew, you know, Christianity as a whole has been around for 2000-ish years. Um, and, and that's even on man's timeline. But you think of God as an eternal God. How do you sing a new song to an eternal God? And what does that really mean to sing a song to the lamb who sits on the throne? Yeah. Well, so in, in what I was looking up for this, this is really quoting out of Revelation 5. And I think to understand that, you've also got to understand what's going on in Revelation 4. So in Revelation 4, uh, chapter 4, basically you've got the elders and there, and there's a lot of other creatures and things like that going on. I'm by no means a revelations expert, but they are sitting around the throne and worshiping God. And you kind of see, you know, what, what is their initial song, basically, if, if to understand what the new song is. And, you know, in verse uh, 11, they're saying, you know, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Uh, back in verse 8, they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that, that'll come up again later in this song, of course. Um, but so that's kind of the initial song. And then what happens in Revelation 5 is you've got this scroll, and John starts to recognize, hey, nobody's worthy of opening this scroll. So we we don't even know what's in it. And he starts to weep because he's like, we've looked over all of the earth and there, there is nobody worthy. And that's when the, 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 both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb aspects of Jesus enter the scene, right? And you start to see uh, that he is worthy. He's able to take the scroll. He's able to, to be seated at the throne. And that's when the, these elders are lifting up, you know, the prayers of the saints and they're singing a new song. And so the new song that they sing is worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Mm -hmm. And so that is what the new song is. And basically it's this change of, they're praising God because he's worthy to be praised just for having created everything and ruling over everything. But then that song changes from that to you're also worthy because you are that lamb that was slain and that has ransomed people to come to God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so great to really look at that from that viewpoint. Something that kind of came to my mind as well on a more, um, micro level of that is you look at Psalms 40 verse two and three, you're looking at how God has um, drawn David up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So this new song is also an opening of the scroll, but it is also one that 
you see where it is a new song in our hearts that because of Christ, the lamb atoning for our sin, we now have a new way of, of coming to the Lord and being reconciled to him in that relationship with him. And that's a new song that he has put in our mouths. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's the same true in revelation there where this ought to be the same progression of every believer where once you recognize that God exists, he's do your praises just for creating everything. But then that ought to quickly also shift to that new song of, wow, not only has he created everything, but he's made a way for me to be reconciled to him by being slain himself like a lamb. And yeah. that, that ought to be that same new song that we are all singing as Christians. Right. And finally, when you look at heaven's mercy seat, again, we're going back to the Old Testament here. Andrew, what is heaven's mercy seat? And, and how is Christ as the sacrificed lamb and the lion sitting on heaven's mercy seat? There has to be an earthly earth, uh, earthly mercy seat if there's a heavenly earthly seat, right? Yeah, right. And so this is this is one of the things, like I said, I, I didn't actually know that I was singing about when we did this, you know, years and years and years ago. Um, I, I kind of just in my head, I guess, assumed that the mercy seat was the throne and that since he's a God of mercy, that therefore it is a mercy seat, I guess. And that was right. the best I kind of <laughs> ever came up with before. Um, but this term actually is found in the Bible in many, many places. Um, it's found in Exodus in a couple different places in Leviticus, also also found in Hebrews. Um, But basically what it's referring to is specifically the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. So this is an actual part of the Ark of the Covenant. And what's really important about that is that in the Holy of Holies, in that place where the priest would go and offer up the various sacrifices, the mercy seat is called out uh, as a place where the blood of some of the sacrifices specifically for sin offerings are sprinkled upon it. And that was basically on the day of atonement to try to atone for a, the, you know, that year's worth of sins of the people, the priest would basically make this sacrifice. And so when you take this whole verse together, what you see is that that's what Christ did. Now he is now that blood because he's the lamb sitting on So it is the throne, but that throne is the mercy seat upon which his blood is spilled so that we can be ransomed back to God. Yeah. I know something that you and I talk about a lot is we both grew up in church and for the longest time kind of viewed the Old Testament as that book with a bunch of weird stories that some of them make sense and they're turned into kids' Bible stories and some of them don't make sense and they're kind of thrown to the wayside. And, and really something that you and I are very passionate about is the Old Testament just points to Christ. All of it points to Christ. And, and really, when you look at the first verse of this song and Revelation, it's, it's almost doing kind of looking back at the Old Testament in a way and saying, these are all the things that you know well. You know what sacrifice looks like. You know what the mercy seat of the temple looks like. You know what the Ark of the Covenant is and how that all ties in. And this is saying Jesus was all that. It's almost an assurance of the messianic properties that Jesus had, that he is the Messiah that came to atone all of these things that back in the Old Testament, we were to the law, we were doing daily and, and Christ is who he says he is. I, and I, I love that one of the things I saw like in researching for this is that you see that very concept throughout the Bible. So we mentioned Old Testament where there's a, a literal mercy seat. And then we have, we're seeing a little bit of that again here in Revelation 
one of the things that's really interesting is if you start to look at uh, the lid of the ark and like some of the Greek words that are used in Romans for that, the word, uh, the word that means the lid of the ark is actually often translated uh, as propitiation. Right. And so like this word, it's mm-hmm. like a, the Greek word I think is a hilasterion. Um, and you can find that like in Romans three twenty five, uh, where it says, you know, whom God displayed publicly as propitiation in his blood through faith. Um, and so basically what you see is that that, that concept is constant through the Bible where um, there's this idea of a sacrifice to atone for sins. And then in the new Testament, you see that Christ becomes that propitiation for sins. And then we kind of realize here, like through singing like this song, that in Revelation, Christ is seated on that throne and deserving of our praise, which is exactly what we're doing in this song, because he was that propitiation for sins. He was that sacrifice. Right. Yeah, we are celebrating Christ as the sacrifice, and we're mm-hmm. celebrating him for for that in this first verse. And so yeah, I'm interested, and in we, we can kind of book in this one. I'm excited to look at verse two and verse three as we kind of celebrate and worship Jesus in a new light. All right. So Logan, this is again, like I mentioned in the intro a little bit, this is one of those lines that I just always took for granted and just saying, and I have no idea what it means to be clothed in rainbows other than knowing that that's really poetic language. So is this something that they're pulling out of scripture? Where, where, where does that come from? Right. Yep. So this actually is directly out of scripture um, in revelation four. So I'll just start us with the line. This is revelation four, verse three. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And then to continue on and go to the next line, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So as you can hear, that's very poetic language. is very um, mm-hmm. grasping in all of your senses to think of a throne with a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald and jasper and carnelian. And I think what's so mind-boggling about all this is this is simply John's attempt to capture what is actually happening. So what does it mean to be clothed in rainbows? In all reality, we have no idea. And that's kind of the point is this is just John, John trying to put a holy vision and a holy reverence and a holy throne into words that we can understand. And so to look at this and go, man, none of this makes sense. It's almost kind of like, well, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But this is all to show that the throne that Christ is sitting on right now at this moment is one that we can't even come close to comprehending at, at, like the thrones that we have here on earth. Yeah. Logan, that's, that's a really helpful description. And especially cause whenever you read through revelation in particular, you're going to come across that time and time again, where John's trying to, you know, grasp for straws, so to speak of just, you know, it's like this, it's not this, but it's, it's like it. And, yeah. um, uh, 
you know, clothed in rainbows. Like you said, I think what's really we're trying to get across when we're singing that in a song today is just saying, what's something beautiful? Christ is like that and more. And right. so that's where we come into, you know, they start quoting out of Revelation 5.13, where they start talking about that idea of blessing and honor and strength and glory and power is because it's like any anybody who is clothed in rainbows and who's walks around with flashes of lightning rolls of thunder like that this is this is the type of worship they are deserving of which is and this is only christ it's only god well um so one other thought i had like i was looking up in this verse you know the idea of like the only wise king um why why is it that we would consider Christ the only wise king? Have there not been other wise kings in the past? Yeah. Yeah, so we've already kind of mentioned that this is kind of a split of a forward vision that John is having of of what heaven is like and and the beauty and the the honestly just the brevity of, of what eternity is mm-hmm. and how it looks like and how we can't even capture that. And there's almost this reflection back on the Old Testament of, of who Christ is and how he has fulfilled those things. We looked at verse one with, with the atoning lamb and, and the, the one who has paid for all of our sins. And so to think of Christ as the only wise king is actually pretty um, crazy to think about. When you think about the kings who have gone before in the, the Old Testament, you have David, a pretty great king. Solomon was known as the king of wisdom. And so to say that Jesus is the only wise king is actually a statement that belittles the kings of the past of, of David and, and Solomon. I think that's that's the point, because when you look at the Old Testament, I know we've talked about this before, but all these Old Testament heroes that we have, Abraham and Joseph and uh, David and and Solomon and all these people that we kind of in a way look up to and, and make stories of and idolize at the end of the day they fall short and that's the point is to say that these men you know, David was a man after God's own heart yet he really messed up royally and and so to say that Jesus is the only wise king is to further cement the implications that Christ is indeed the Messiah that has come because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so not only is he the the king of kings, but you think about the line of Paul. We talked about this in in the song Reckless Love, but the line, you know, the foolishness of God is is wiser than the best laid plans of men. And, And so in a way, Christ, if Christ's foolishness is better than the wisdom of men, imagine what the wisdom of God is mm-hmm. in light of men. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfathomable to right. think of what that must be. And so that, that is what I gather in, in proclaiming that Christ is the only wise king. Yeah, I love that uh, look at it in relative terms to Solomon because, right, like you mentioned, he's granted, you know, like this gift of basically being, hey, you're the wisest person that was, is, and will be. And, and so like in many ways it'd be like, Oh, awesome. But then when you look at it from the perspective of Israel, you know, whenever he passed away, they ought to have been like, Oh, well this, this is a bummer because now we, we, he wasn't our savior. He wasn't the one that ultimately brought us out. He did for a time period. There was a period of, of great prosperity under Solomon that then fell to pieces. Um, but they ought, they probably were looking at that and thinking, if he was promised to be the wisest person that that came, 
we have no hope and wisdom then, right? Because like there will never be somebody wiser that's able to overcome that. And then, you know, what you see is that Christ is able to fulfill that because he's not just a man, right? He's not just, um, uh, he's a type of that, but he's, he's not just a man. And uh, I also think of like, like you mentioned, like the wisdom of Solomon brought great prosperity to Israel for a time. And I love what you were talking beforehand. And, you know, you were mentioning how, yeah, like Solomon's throne room would have been absolutely beautiful. Um, you, you start to see like all of these descriptions of that in the Bible. And sometimes I wonder like, why do they go into such great detail over like, you know, all these cedars and the gold leafing on all of this stuff. And then you realize, well, those are all describable beauties. The throne of Christ is indescribable. Our best, our best shot is talking about being clothed in rainbows and of these kind of like these jewels, but not quite, you know, it's something greater than that. And so I think, um, it's really helpful to look at it from that perspective of just like all of the things that Solomon was as a King, Christ is a greater King. Absolutely. So, so verse one, we look at Christ as the lamb and, and Christ, the, the sacrifice who is atoned for our sins. Verse two, we're, we're worshiping and proclaiming Christ as the King. Let's take a look at verse three. Andrew, so we're at the final verse, filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Andrew, there are countless Bible verses, countless songs, countless sermons on the name, the weight of the name. We aren't supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. Why is the name so important and and how are we filled with wonder just at the mention of it? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think that part of that comes from just the idea of a name is meant to capture the full essence. Effectively, it is a way of saying all that you are. I am. I am affirming and proclaiming. And some of that you even see in in God. Whenever you know Moses asks, like, "Well, what do I tell them that you are called?" You know, he's just like, "I am," and that's what they. That's mm-hmm. the name that they basically attribute to him. Is just that you know Yahweh or I am which is basically just like a catch an attempt at capturing in a succinct manner I suppose God just is right he's he's right. everything he's creator of everything he controls everything he upholds everything he plans everything and a name is just a means of saying all there's power in all that you are Right. You know, Andrew, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and how kids were named and why kids were named that way, it very much is capturing the essence of who that is. Isaac was named because of laughter. And so when you think about the name of Jesus, it captures exactly that, what you mentioned, the essence of who Jesus is, God with us. But even thinking about the name Yahweh, Yahweh in and of itself is just a breath. And so when you think about the true essence, Yahweh is everything. It, it, it is the breath. Nothing exists without the breath. And so it, it does an incredible job of capturing who God is and just how he is with us. He is all things. Yeah. I also think of like 
it's back to the imagery, you know, in Revelation that we talked about in other songs of an idea of a courtroom. And mm-hmm. it's like, what is the evidence? What's that's going to be presented for our case? And it's like, in many ways, it'll just be the name Jesus, right? Which, right. you know, that, that Yeshua, which kind of is meaning to deliver, to rescue. And it'll basically be that presented evidence that we sang about in verse one of, I have a sacrifice that has been paid, that has delivered me, that has rescued me from my own sin. And the, the like wonder, awestruck wonder that that'll bring out and just the power, the, you know, the, the rebirth through the breath and like this satisfying living water, like that's what will come out of that name in that moment. Yeah. And ultimately that's the mystery of it all. It's a marvelous mystery of how all these things come together and the, the power that the name holds ultimately at the end of the day is a mystery. And it's, it's one that we won't get to see in full light until glory, right? It's a, we're, we, it's a mirror lit dimly right now. And, and so the, the marvelous mystery of it all is there's an element that we don't understand this and that is okay. And we can live in that marvelous mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do love for this verse, I get this sense of a satisfaction here and now as well, mm-hmm. e- even though there's this mystery, I almost get a sense that that mystery itself can be satisfying. Yeah. And so like, I see here, like this idea of filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, like, uh, you know, this like idea of, of being filled and then you get to like breath and living water. And these to me are these ideas of like a continued like maintenance and satisfaction and never thirsting and things like that. And a lot of that is a mystery, but I also find the mystery itself, like the, the wonder itself, like in many ways, wonder is akin to mystery, right? When you look mm-hmm. upon something with wonder, you're just like, how could something so wonderful be? And, you know, I feel the same way whenever reading scripture a lot of the time, like there's like this mystery to me and, but that very seeking and discovering that very mystery is part of what's filling and part of what's giving that living water and giving the very breath. And, uh, you know, I think the same can even be true maybe of some songs that we sing, right? Mm -hmm. Where like those things help us to reflect on the mystery, which gives us that wonder and that wonder itself is a filling it's a it brings a satisfaction it brings us joy absolutely absolutely so to kind of book in the verses verse one you have christ as the lamb as the atonement of our sins verse two you have christ as the king verse three you have christ as the great i am of the name of jesus is what fills us and sustains us So the chorus, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Andrew, there is an importance to the holies in threes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So this will be seen often in the Bible um, where God gives a significance to different numbers. Um, and three, of course, is is one of those. And, you know, some of this is even seen in the Trinity itself, which, you know, we've touched on a little bit and we'll touch on a little bit more, but 
Um, we obviously can't dive into too terribly far in this uh, episode, but there's tons of resources out there explaining the Trinity. But basically what you see is that that idea of three is is one of those important numbers where it's meant to establish a sense of fullness or a sense of completeness. And so I, I kind of think of it in terms of how like the holy, holy, holy ought to be just like a repeated word you know, forever and ever and ever, and it would never quite capture what we're trying to say. And so God has, in some ways, granted us a means to do that by giving a, a like a thing where, hey, holy, holy, holy is a, basically a phrase that means a fullness of holiness, a completeness of holiness in ways that even just saying fullness or completeness doesn't capture but but because god has established that this sense of threes incites that uh, that feeling of of completeness and fullness then it's better able to explain what's going on yeah it's it's basically the heavenly version of the bar over the three of the decimal point right if you if you take Mm -hmm. the fraction one third and convert that to a decimal it's point three 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 and so on and so forth and so to grant Mm -hmm. us having to do that forever um, you just put a bar over the three. And that is essentially what, what God has done here is said, Hey, here's, here's the heavenly symbolic nature of that, of just three times is that holy completion. So it's, it's kind of funny how that works out. Man. I, I'm just impressed though, that the math analogy did not come from the engineer between the two of us. <laughs> that is a, uh, I was not, my mind was not even on that, that level. So very cool. But yeah, so I think also one thing I'd like to pause for a moment on in this course and just really make sure that we've established, because this is important for all of the verses. This is important for how we interpret all of scripture. And it's this idea of who was and is and is to come. And so we see some of this in uh, coming out of like John 1, 1, where you get this idea that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We see this in Genesis 1, where you see God singular creating all these things. And then he says, let us, and you go, Oh, (laughs) where's the, where's the plural coming from? And then, and then you see this again in revelation. Uh, So like if you take one, eight and four, eight combined, which are referencing this idea of was and is and is to come, you see that given both to Christ and to God. And so what you, what you gain from all of that is basically seeing that old Testament, new Testament, prophetic revelation, Christ, is God. There is no separation. That's kind of what I mentioned earlier with that idea of the Trinity of when we, when we do this new song, this shift, it's not shifting so much who we're worshiping so much as it's shifting the, the reason or maybe even adding a motive behind that worship. So it's, it's worshiping your God. That worship is, just continued with the new aspect of, and you've ransomed us through Christ. Um, And so, like I said, definitely a difficult concept uh, to understand. Uh, Fortunately, you know, for people growing up in the church, the Trinity is kind of a thing that's been uh, uh, taught on uh, to to some aspect to help us understand. And again, that's also one of those things that's going to be that mystery and like that being clothed in rainbows where we're going to say, it's like this. I've heard like the, explanations of it's like the different phases of water and it's like in some ways but it's also not (laughs) and so same kind of thing here but i do think it's important to just whenever we sing this to really bring to mind christ always has been 
is and always will be and is therefore God. Right. And and something that, that God has really been teaching me and, and really reminding me and that this this song and this passage of scripture really brings out is that there there was no plan B. Christ was not the plan B. Christ as God's son, as the man who was sent to earth, the God man, and as the lamb who was sacrificed and and rose again from the dead, that was not a a second option that God had to call a quick audible on because Adam messed up. And and so that's something that just brings even more light to think of Christ and God the Father as one in this of was and is and is to come. This was not a secondary option. This was the plan and and Christ can be glorified in that. So just just a small tangent that the God's really been showing me that this song brings out. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so kind of closing this out, what we see also proclaimed in this course though is because of that, because of Christ being the Lamb, and because of the 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 plan all along was to become the Lamb, so that He could become also the greatest King uh, that we ha- we could even comprehend, and be filling through that, and and just full of all kinds of of glories that we can't we can't even describe. Because of all that, we have this line of with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. Yeah. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Why? Why is all of creation singing? Why not just us? Yeah. So when you look at Jesus making his triumphant entry um, in Luke nineteen, as he's on his way, and there are disciples uh, screaming, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord! Peace in heaven and glory in the highest!" And, and really. The Pharisees in the crowd ask Jesus to actually rebuke the disciples and tell them to be quiet. And Jesus so wonderfully responds, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so you have this idea of if if all of our praise, all of man's praise were to cease, that would not stop the praise of the Lord from going up. Even the stones would cry out. All of creation is singing out. And and really, when you look forward to Revelation in chapter five, that's actually what is happening. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So, it wasn't just a metaphor. It wasn't just a hyperbole. All of creation is actually ringing out and singing the praises of the King. And so Mm -hmm. what we're doing is really, we're not creating the song. We are just joining in a song that's already been sung. You know, something to think about with that is the Lord being praised did not begin when Adam and Eve were on the earth, right? There were the, as, as Christ formed or as God, the father created it. Well, honestly, as we just talked about, they were together. So as, as the Trinity kind of began this work and, and creation happened, the very things that are being created, the water, the sky, the stars, the creatures on the earth and below the earth and the sea, they're all ringing out those praises. And so we're just joining in that song and ultimately we're joining in 
an eternal song um, and proclaiming that Christ is our everything because through him are all things. Right. Yeah. And I think this song helps to demonstrate that because I think verse one with that idea of the lamb, you see the depths of what Christ has done. And then in verse two, you see it with the king, like the heights to which he is raised. Mm-hmm. And then verse three, you see the satisfaction uh, that is is given to us through that. And it's like, if we fully understood how deep those depths are, how high those heights are, and how satisfying that feeling is, we wouldn't even question rocks crying out, right? right. It would be like, of course, th- this is deeper and higher and more satisfying than we could even comprehend. Right. And I think that's part of what this song really helps to do as we sing it is it helps to explain to us all of these things are greater than we can comprehend. And so we're left just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty alongside all of the rest of creation. Right. Yeah, I, I love these songs where it, it gives us a glimpse into heaven, right? There's mm-hmm. there's an element of the mystery that is satisfying here and we can be um, satisfied in that wonder. And there's also an element that just keeps pointing us towards eternity. And these songs give us a glimpse of when we sing holy, 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 we are literally joining in with creation. Like those words are being sung um, with, with creation and in heaven eternally. And so as we are on this earth, the limited time, these are the moments where we can, we can really get a glimpse of, of what eternity is going to be like and how there's a new song being sung even now that that we will come to to join in ultimately in glory well thank you for joining us on another episode of to the choir master we hope that this episode has been an encouragement to you and one that pushes you towards worshiping an eternal god if you haven't already we encourage you to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to good podcasts we look at a song every week this is kind of one of the first ones that we've looked at this has kind of been in the late 90s early 2000s range but hopefully more to come but but each week we look at songs that we sing on sunday look at the heart posture behind how we can sing them and we are doing this podcast ultimately for the encouragement of others for worship teams and and to look at these songs in in that respect so if you have any encouragements or thoughts or uh, want to let us know how you're using this podcast we would love for you to reach out to us um, we have an email address at team t-e-a-m at to the choirmaster.com we'd love to hear from you there as well as social media so we look forward to you guys joining the conversation again next Tuesday as we look at the heart posture behind musical worship. Yeah, my, my question, I, I'm gonna have to tell a quick little story before I ask it, but I was scrolling through the radio one night and I rarely listen to the radio, but was, was scrolling through and, and came upon one of the radio stations kind of in the lower 90s, which always is gonna give you um, some gospel music or a gospel preacher. And, and this man was getting after it. And he was looking at Luke 19, actually, and, and talked about how even the rocks will cry out and basically presented a challenge of, uh, he, he proclaimed, I'm not going to let the rocks do my praising. And, and that's, that's my question is right now, are, are, are you joining in with creation and, and 
worshiping God and, and your life, not just with your words, but with your life, with your um, posture of your heart, or are you letting the rocks kind of quote unquote, do your praising? So that's, that's my question to, to leave us with. <laughs>